Vectors is a half-day event that explores identity and design and how it impacts work, communities, and the world at large. Some of the most innovative minds in the design industry will be there, such as Chikizi Ijiasi, Robin Kanner, Jacinda Walker, Helena Price, and others, including Revision Path. Vectors takes place in San Francisco on June 15th and tickets are on sale now. Just $20 for general admission and students get in for free. Space is limited, so visit wearevectors.com and get your ticket today. This episode of Revision Path is brought to you by Facebook Design. One thing that I love asking guests on the show is what advice they would give to an up-and-coming designer. When I talked with George Kettenberg, I asked him what's the best advice he's been given about design. I think, for me, the best advice that I've been given is basically to just do a lot of work. I'm a self-taught designer. I didn't. I don't have any like real formal design education. So for me, it's always been, you know, just trying to make as much as possible and spend as much time as I can just creating. Yeah, I think that's the best advice I've gotten is just to just do a lot of design and push through it. And even though you might suck at first, um, if you keep pushing on it, eventually you'll break through. Learn more at facebook.com forward slash design. Are you looking for a job? Do you know someone who's looking for a job? Then check out our job board over at revisionpath.com forward slash jobs. Whether you want a full-time job or you're looking for something temporary or freelance, we've got you covered. This week, Mapbox is looking for a cartography manager. We also have job listings from Indeed.com, so head to the Revision Path job board at revisionpath.com forward slash jobs to apply and to search for any other listings. Don't forget to sign up for weekly job alerts, and when there are new positions added to the job board, you'll get an email so you can be the first to apply. And if you're looking for more jobs, then become a member of our Slack community and join the jobs channel. See you there. You're listening to the Revision Path Podcast, a weekly showcase of the world's black graphic designers, web designers, and web developers. Through in-depth interviews, you'll learn about their work, their goals, and what inspires them as creative individuals. Here's your host, Maurice Cherry. Welcome to the Revision Path Podcast. My name is Maurice Cherry, and before we get into this week's interview, let's talk about our sponsors, MailChimp, Hover, and SiteGround. Join more than 15 million people who use MailChimp to not only send emails, but to grow their businesses on their own terms. Start sending professional-looking newsletters to your clients today for free. MailChimp also just opened up free marketing automation tools for all customers. So whether you are doing e-commerce or you're just sending out simple newsletters, you can send the right message to the right people at exactly the right time for free. MailChimp, send better email. When you have a great idea for a project, you need to give it a great domain name. And guess what? Finding the perfect domain name is ridiculously easy with Hover. You know what else Hover makes easy? Setting up that new domain that you just bought with the most popular website builders out there. Just use their Hover Connect feature to set up your domain automatically in just a few clicks. No more digging through a bunch of help articles or Google searches to find out how to get your domain working. Go to hover.com forward slash revision path and get 10% off your first purchase. Again, that's hover.com forward slash revision path. Hover, domain names for your ideas. SiteGround's hosting services are crafted for professional business or enterprise projects. So whether you're building something custom or you're using a CMS like WordPress, 
SiteGround lets you build better, faster, safer websites more easily, and they offer multiple hosting options that your websites can grow into. Visit SiteGround.com forward slash revision path and get 60% off on all hosting plans. We've got a new review this week on Apple Podcasts. This comes from AFAM Architect, who happens to have been last week's guest, Craig Wilkins. So here it is. Excellent. It is both a privilege and a treat to hear the work being done by designers of color. Their excellent work should be more widely known, and this podcast leads the effort to spread the word. Again, Craig, thank you so much for listening. If you hadn't had a chance to listen to last week's episode, go back and listen to it. Craig also just won the National Design Award in the Design Mind category for his work in architecture. So it's a really great interview. Make sure you go check that out. And I guess speaking of that, let's get into this week's interview. I'm talking with creative director and multidisciplinary designer Lacey Jordan. Now, you will probably hear a little bit of coughing in the interview. It's allergy season. Some stuff couldn't be edited out, unfortunately, but still a great interview. So I hope you really get a lot out of it. Let's go ahead and start the show. All right. So tell us who you are and what you do. Hey, my name is Lacey Jordan, and I'm a multidisciplinary designer and creative director in Los Angeles. And I do I do a lot of things from <laughs> creative direction to illustration, selling products, podcasting, a whole lot. Creative unicorn. Wow. So tell me, what's the design scene like for you in L.A.? You're doing all these different kind of things that tie into design. I mean, there's e-commerce, there's creative direction. What's the design scene like for you there? The design scene, honestly, is a little sketchy. I think more so it's a general, like just overall art creative scene. In that scene is different pockets of creative. So a lot of photographers, a lot of illustrators, you have designers, directors, videographers, and it's really just this melting pot of creatives for if you want to look at just design, there are little pockets of things like you you do have AIGA, you have a couple of other smaller organizations, and I feel terrible because I can't think of the names of any of them. <laughs> and you have little events that go on, but more so, I would say it's a overall like just creative scene in LA, especially when you think about the entertainment industry. So, you know, it's, it's television, it's film, it's a lot of different things. And we have a lot of platforms like Blavity who kind of came in and shook the ground with black creatives, especially in regards of getting black creatives together. So I think it's more, it's definitely more of a, a overall creative scene versus a strong design scene. Yeah. I could see how LA would kind of be this melting pot of a bunch of different creative disciplines. Like when, when I think about what the black creative scene in LA might look like, I'm thinking mostly film, actually film and music. I'm thinking, mm-hmm. you know, Issa Rae, Kendrick Lamar, uh, black and sexy TV, Blavity. Also, like you mentioned, I'm thinking more of these, you know, kind of artsy type of platforms, but not so much about, about design. Let's talk about Blavity though. Cause I think they were headquartered in the Bay at one time. Right. And they, they, ended yes. Up- Yes. So now they're in downtown L.A., which I've come to find out recently just because I've been trying to get out and meet, you know, different creatives like people I stalk on Instagram. Like if I if I love a photographer, I'm like, hey, let's get coffee or whatever. And I'm realizing that a lot of black creatives live in downtown. So I don't know if that's why they chose that area, but 
the more and more I meet people, I'm like, wait, you live downtown too? Like everybody is downtown. So I think kind of what I mentioned before, them coming in and having events and kind of just opening this door of let's get together, let's be social. For example, they had an event a couple of weeks ago for like women creators. And when I walked in, I kid you not, it had to be at least 45 to 50 people, 50 black women, like just creators. And I got there pretty late. So it's no telling how many, you know, people were there, you know, in the beginning, but before them coming in, I either I didn't see the spaces or they didn't exist, but there really wasn't anybody driving calls towards creatives getting together. And I think to your point about how, you know, you have these different platforms like movies and music. A lot of the times people are focused in those areas and they don't they don't necessarily have a designer. So I'm finding myself in places where. I'm becoming one of the, and this is like weird even coming out of my mouth. I'm becoming one of the prominent, especially prominent black designers in LA. Like a lot of people have told me that they've been in conversations where they're like, oh, I mentioned your name and like seven other people in the room knew you. And I was like, oh, how? But I'm realizing that A, which this is funny, it's weird because when I moved here, I assumed that there was going to be a just overarching amount of wonderful graphic designers. And that's because we have like Art Center and CalArts and Otis and all these different things. But through different situations, like even in my in my nine to five, where we're looking for a designer and no shade to anybody, but a lot of the applicants have been super sketchy. And it, it surprised me because coming from Alabama and not going to design school, I thought I was sort of like, not, you know, like art school level necessarily. Like I, I, I'm very hard on myself, but anyway, I'm noticing that. And so I actually, I had a freelance call with a, a black fine artist and she told me that she was like, you know, I would be, well, she said she wouldn't be surprised that in the next year or so, my workload really would take off just because she's worked with a ton of designers here and even in different states. And it's kind of hard to find, you know, that person who kind of has it. So it's interesting. I'm also realizing that there aren't a lot of designers of color in LA, or if they are, they aren't that visible. So to go back to it all, I think I think Blavity coming to LA definitely heightened the the creative. Like I see people looking at them and saying like, oh, I can, you know, create an online magazine or create this platform. So there's a lot of that in LA. There's like Blavity, there's like Crown Magazine, there's Bunch Magazine. There's all these like independent things where it's very diverse, ran by people of color. And it's become sort of like this design content base situation. Well, damn. Shout out to Blavity for really shout kind of out <laughs> for all that. Stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And I could I mean, I could be wrong. Like it, all this stuff could have been happening. And I just didn't notice it. But in my opinion, I I would give them credit even, you know, doing Blavity, doing their sister brand, 2190, bringing, you know, women together because they had a kickoff event a couple of weeks ago. And unfortunately I couldn't attend, but I saw it on, you know, all over social media. And when I looked at the room, there were basically all the prominent like women creators in LA. And I'm like, Whoa, this is, this organization is really bringing the people together. So yeah, shout out to them. They're pretty dope. 
So speaking of organizations, and we're still kind of keeping it, of course, in the realm of design, I have to ask about AIGA. And I ask this, I think, you know, of, I want to say most people I try to have on the show. I try to get a sense of what their specific AIGA chapter is like, because AIGA has all these different chapters and people have varied experiences with the organization. It's usually because of whatever interactions they've had with chapter, the chapter's operate independently from headquarters which is in new york so it can be kind of a an interesting experience how there are some diehard fanatics of aiga that credit them for their entire career and then there are some folks <laughs> that, i wouldn't touch aiga with a 10-foot pole because i had <laughs> etc it sounds like there could be an opportunity here or or you know maybe there there has been and it just hadn't happened but with kind of this burgeoning black creative scene that Blavity has started to kind of, you know, bubble up through their events. Mm-hmm. Is there any sort of work that you've been doing with AIGA? Are you are you familiar with the local chapter? Yes, very familiar. I think the whole time I've been in LA, which is four years, it is a very interesting chapter to be completely transparent. It's operated very much so like any kind of corporate organization or institution. I don't want to say everyone because, I mean, I have friends who have jobs and they're like, no, this isn't political at all. But the chapter here is definitely more traditional, is more political. I've heard a couple of people on this podcast just talk about AIGA and, you know, how how it's operating, how it can kind of be this place of it's very like print heavy. I don't know. I guess the best word is just it's very traditional. And it has a lot of red tape. So for me, especially as of recently, I've been knocking down the door in regards of like, hey, what are we doing for diversity and inclusion? And this has been probably for like two years now. Like I was stalking them on Twitter, like you're going to answer my question, like what's happening? (laughs) So that's what I'm interested in doing with the chapter here. But to be honest, there's been a lot of politics and a lot of pushback. So for me, I'm in a very weird place right now with the chapter trying to figure out, do I want to play a role at all? And if I do, what does that role consist of? And of course, it would be diversity and inclusion related, but I I just don't know at what level, because I think a lot of chapters, a lot of chapters are doing it and doing it well from what I've seen, like looking at D.C. and looking at like St. Louis and all these different places. Mm -hmm. But for LA, again, being transparent, it it feels a little forced because I also know that with the ongoing conversation of diversity and not just with AIGA, but I mean, it's everywhere. It's at my nine to five. It's on TV. It's all through entertainment. People are looking at the success of black shows like Empire, Scandal, Blackish, all this stuff. And they're kind of waking up like, oh, my God, like black people you know, they have the juice and now we want to have the juice. <laughs> so that meetings that I sit in, I'm like, I, I'm glad y'all are kind of awake now because we had the juice for a long time. So that, that word diversity, and it's becoming a word. I mean, I love diversity, but it's becoming one of those buzz words that I'm like, Oh, as soon as I go in a meeting and I hear it, I'm just like, kill me now, especially depending on who's talking about it. But I do think, and you're national level, so you can tell me, but I, I think that a lot of chapters who aren't doing anything with diversity and inclusion, if there are people in their chapter that are passionate about and they're going to nationals or they're being vocal, I feel like chapters are getting the heat a little bit or they're feeling 
they're feeling like they need to do something, which is great because you should feel like you need to do something. But I think it's more so about the way you do it. Are you going to do it so you know, you just check off the box and you don't have to worry about anybody talking to you about it. Or are you really passionate about it? So that's what I'm trying to figure out about AIGA Los Angeles. And, you know, and if I do come to the conclusion that I feel like it's forced, it's kind of for me to figure out, like, how do I how do I service my people in a way where it's just me? Like you have Revision Path, which is a great outlet so it's it's me figuring out like what does that mean? Like what is my revision path? Like how do I service people of color in a way that's just for me verse working with AIGA LA? But it's one of those things where it should be really cool. <laughs> like AIGA should be super cool because when I think about design, there really isn't I mean, there's a lot of different design organizations, but there there isn't that like one that's just killing it, in my opinion. And I think that if AIGA lost its traditionalist feel, that it would open the door for so many things. Like even, and I know this is something that they've been thinking about, but, you know, AIGA isn't just for print designers. And in LA, that's something that's imperative to know just because print design isn't, you know, the most common thing in LA. And when I work with people, most projects that I work on outside of my nine to five, it's me and a group of people. It's, it may be me creative directing a shoot where I'm working directly with the photographer who's working directly with the model. And we're working with set designers. Like it's it's never really just all the time me doing a project by myself unless it's just, you know, my personal freelance work. And I realized that that's what makes L.A. so special is that you do have these you have multiple disciplines that most of the time have to work together to get the job done, whether that's, you know, producing a album or, you know, getting a show off the ground. Or even when I look at Issa Rae's team, it's so many different, you know, parts from like production designer to the set designer. And the set designer usually needs, you know, some creative director or a designer to help them work on like type treatments or whatever it is. So I think if AIGA as a whole, and in particular Los Angeles, really worked on communicating that it's just not for the traditional print designers, that that would bring a lot of mix and flavor to the organization, especially here, because you're not going to get a whole lot of print designers, honestly, unless it's old white men, like just to be transparent. But if you do have a event with like Blavity and it's like, you know, just creators in the area, you're going to get all types of people like black, white, like taking an Asian, you're going to get it all. So I think that as a whole and kind of like reading LA, it's, you know, you have to broaden your audience because it's no longer about serifs and sans serifs anymore. It's a, it's a whole, it's a bigger picture. That's a really common refrain that I hear from a lot of folks, particularly a lot of black folks with AIGA. It's almost this feeling of being kind of torn. Like you have a torn relationship with, with AIG, not saying you particular, but it's, you want the organization to do better. You have these ideas that you think would be good, but then you go and you talk to them or you present it to them and it's, it becomes somewhat apparent very quickly that they don't really care to hear right. about whatever this is. I mean, like you mentioned, AIGA LA being very print heavy. Atlanta's very print heavy too. Um, That's crazy. We have like letterpress events. We have poster shows, which don't get me wrong, that's great. 
But we've also got here Emory and Georgia Tech and Georgia State and Morehouse and Spelman. And we have like a really strong digital startup community here. And AIG Atlanta doesn't tap into that at all. They really mm-hmm. don't. I mean, I've, I've been to open board meetings. I've talked with board members. And they're always like, oh, yeah, that's a really good idea. And then nothing happens. And I'm right. not you have to take my idea and run with it. But it makes me think, am I the only one that has this idea or are they just content with the status quo, with it being exactly what it is and not trying to really change anything or or become, I wouldn't even say more diverse, but just become more inclusive. Yes. I think with that inclusivity, diversity will naturally follow. Like inclusive of different types of design. Like I know we have here in Atlanta, we have Atlanta Web Design Group and I think I've mentioned before, like, well, can AIG Atlanta and Atlanta Web Design Group do something together? Because, like, it's it's both designed. And the, the responses I've gotten have been like, well, they have their thing. That's like, but, but we're all designers. I don't yeah. Like, why can't we all work on this together? Right. I don't understand this, like, de facto segregation in design from design. Like, it's, it's I don't know. Exactly. I, I struggle with it with even with, you know, doing stuff with the task force. It's a it can kind of be a similar sort of thing where there's certainly things that we want to push forth, but it just uh it doesn't happen. I, I have a contentious relationship with AIJ. I, I have of course volunteered for a long time. I'm actually rolling off the task force very soon. And I'm thankful for the time that I've had. The experiences have been largely mixed. Some have been good, some have been bad. But I don't know. I, I think it's because in terms of design organizations, like you said, there's not really one that's out there killing it. Right. There's certainly not any of them that it feels like are giving any sort of notion to diversity at all, unless it's like a, a after fact or if or yes. if some sort of controversy happens and then they have to address it. And mm-hmm. I, when I say that, I mean, that's not just AIGA, that's everybody. <laughs> that's the graphic Artists Guild, that's everybody. That's, yeah. ADC, that's Young Guns Club, that's Red Dot, that's Core 77. It's a lot of other organizations and events and awards and stuff like that. So, you know, I, I know that once upon a time there was the Organization of Black Designers, but that's... Ain't oh, a- yeah. I checked out... <laughs> I think when you did when you did the interview, I think with Christy Tillman, because I've mentioned you, that's like... I love following her on Twitter. That's one of my favorite interviews, because she... Oh, I can't wait to see like what she does in her career, because she just... She has that, give her like a shout out moment. She has like that feel of like Crystal from the read, but like more of like a tech version of that, which like just gives me so much life. But I remember you guys talking about that organization and it made me go look it up because I was like, wait a minute, some black folks getting together about design and everything you said, both of you guys said was totally right. Like even the website, I'm like, the numbers seem a little inflated. Like it was, I don't know. I don't know if there's anything I, I have my own thoughts about that that i don't know if i want to mention them in this episode we do have to talk that <laughs> off the air but okay. but but it's, it's just one of those things where clearly i feel like for black designers we want to be a part of an organization that looks at us you know not just as black people but also as designers and it feels like with organizations like aiga it's either one or the other yep and that's and one thing that AIGA should kind of wake up about is because I do think they they have this status quo thing and they like 
they want things to stay the way they are. But to be honest, from the time I moved here up until now, I, my perspective about AIGA has totally changed. When I moved here, I wanted to be, um, I wanted to work in a chapter for multiple reasons. One, because I didn't know a lot of people. I moved here really knowing no one, especially when it comes to design. And I mentioned before, I went to University of Alabama. That's not a design school. So I've always kind of carried this idea that my work was not good enough to be completely like honest about it. I mean, now I don't, but <laughs> then I was like, oh, you know, I'm going to this city where it's like the top of the top and it's like, you know, SCAD level or like whatever, Parsons, I don't know. Like all these people, they're coming and it's, it's art center. It's, it's this whole vibe. So I was like, you know, I need to go to, I need to be involved in AIGA because I want to surround myself around designers and I want to learn because I don't want to be one of those people who, you know, you get into your own shell and you're no longer, you're no longer learning anything. So that was one reason. And another reason was just to be included in the design scene and none of those things really happen because one, every, I mean, everyone's busy, everyone's in their own world, but it, it does kind of feel like that status quo thing of like, oh, you know, most of the people in the chapter have gotten to a certain level where, and I feel like I'm just ragging on them, but it's kind of like, you know, I win the design awards and I'm at the galas and, you know, and it's just this vibe that I don't care about. And it's, it's a weird situation. And then Fast forwarding to now. And another thing was like, you know, if I'm in this organization, I'm working with all these prominent designers who are doing it. They're, they're at the gala or whatever, and they're doing all this cool stuff. I could potentially have opportunities to, you know, network with these people and then also elevate my career. And there really wasn't like even any opportunity for that. I think they had a mentoring program this one time. But again, everybody is busy like around the world. But people in L.A., you would think that they run in the country. Like the way that everybody acts like <laughs> you could think it's Obama. And I'm like, y'all can't be that busy. Like so even that, even that, it wasn't a terrible experience, but it was nothing that came from it. But now looking at AIGA, and this is this might be a little harsh, but I'm like, y'all don't really play a part in anything. Like the reasons why I joined the organization in the beginning, I realized that I can do all that on my own with with my peers who are doing the cool stuff, you know, like linking up with people like Blavity because Blavity not only is the culture, but they also have the reach. So if I'm working with Blavity and they put something out, you know, on social media, that's like opportunities in an instant verse, you know, trying to cut through the, the red tape of AIGA and like, you know, make yourself known and, you know, try to make yourself, you know, feel like important in designing. It's a weird vibe. And I think, Soon and very soon, that's going to become very apparent, especially with social media and the Internet as a whole. When people are creating their own platforms like that one website, Women Who Draw, I think that website crashed in the first day just because there was no other platform where people were highlighting women who draw. And like now I don't know if they're open for submissions now, but they were down for a while, pretty much saying we can't. It's, it's full to capacity. And that website is so simple. I think it might have been like a Tumblr page at first. I don't know if it still is, but you can just go to the site, see all these women who draw. You can even pick like black women, like gay women, transgender, whatever. And you can easily, companies can easily find people to hire. So 
in my mind, like what I'm thinking now is I could just start my own platform, right? Even as you were talking, I'm like, what if we just start our own design organization and do our own awards? Like I saw Solange tweet that she was pretty much like, F these other people's awards, like give out your own awards, which now I'm kind of like, Hmm, what is, what does that look like? I mean, and I don't want to turn this into AIGA bashing. We're going to, we're going to move on something else, but I've put on my own awards before and it's, Oh my God. (laughs) I've thought about doing it again. This is the first time I've said this publicly. I've thought about doing it again. I did the black weblog awards from 2004 to 2011 Mm -hmm. to another organization. They kind of picked it up from, I think from 2011 to 2016. Mm -hmm. I don't think it's happening this year, which was kind of a surprise to me because I reached out to them and was like, Hey, what are you all doing for this year? And they're like, nothing. Like, it's it's done. Wow. Like, I think the domain is up for, <laughs> for purchase or Dang. something. Dang. Like, like, <laughs> y'all gonna let me know something. I've thought about doing, like, some kind of a, a, I don't know, a black design awards thing. I've thought about it. Because, I mean... Do I, it. Do I, it. Of doing the Black Weblog Awards. It's... I'm thinking about it. I, I'm not. I'm not pulling the trigger on anything. It's certainly something I would need to kind of give some more serious thought to. But it, it's something, especially now, because I judge a lot of awards, mm-hmm. and of course, because of the number of people I've talked to through this this podcast, one thing that I'm definitely seeing is like black folks are not black designers. I should say are not winning design awards, and I don't know if it's because they're not applying for them or yeah. really see what the significance is. It's it's funny I say that because last week's episode with Craig Wilkins, he just won the National Design Award for Design Mind. He's an architect. Wow. He's the second black person to ever win a National Design Award. Now, to the National Design Awards credit, they've only been around since 2000, so they haven't had a ton of, you know, years of doing it. But in the in the 17 years of the awards, they've only had two black winners. Um, wow. And he's the second one. The first one was Stephen Burke, who was a furniture designer who won, I think, in 2015. But even then, you're talking like it took 15 years for a black person to win. Yeah, that's uh, crazy. And, but, it, but, I mean, it's not just, you know, National Design Awards. It's it's Communicator Awards. It's Davy Awards. It's How Design Awards. It's all these different kind of awards that are out there. And you just kind of don't see black designers winning them. And that's not to say that they're not applying or putting themselves out there, but... I'm really ambivalent on on the awards thing because I can see why they're important because it helps to elevate your work and put it in front of people that may not see it otherwise. Right. But then you, if you apply for a bunch of awards, it, it kind of can seem like, I mean, first of all, they're not cheap. <laughs> Everyone, <Right. laughs> you got to pay money, you got to put together a submission package, you got to hope it's what the judges are looking for, and you know, and I, I feel like I have an inside track because I've put awards on and I've judged awards. So I kind of know what, if you're trying to win an award, I know what you should do to do that. Mm-hmm. But I don't know. I'm a little torn on it, but. Well, I know, I know awards and like design contests and stuff. I think I was more in tune with it. Like when I was in college, cause I was, which I, I shouldn't have been applying for nobody's nothing in college, but <laughs> Every now and then I'll get an email from like how design or whatever. And now for whatever reason, by the time I read the email, it's like deadline in two days. And I'm like, oh, shit. Yeah, that's Because <laughs> some, I mean, don't trust. And I, I'm saying this from a completely behind the scenes perspective. 
there are some schools that will get advance notice of when these awards are happening mm. to give them ample enough time to submit. And wow. then everybody else, you just find out about it when you find out about it. Right. If it's not in your Gmail spam. <laughs> yeah. Like, I mean, the outreach is certainly not even in any respect. So, I mean, if you go to a non-design school or if you go to an HBCU or something like that, unless you're just tapped into the general design conversation, you're not even going to hear about most of this stuff because they're not reaching out to you anyway. Right, right. But you made a good point. I'm going to make a make an effort to look more into context. I'm definitely going to hit you up like, Maurice, what's the tea? Like, how can I... <laughs> How can, how can I shoot my best shot and see what happens? <laughs> I'll, hey, I'll be I'll be completely honest and transparent about what you should do and and because I mean I've seen I've seen things. That's all I'll say. <laughs> I've seen some submissions oh, that are just like, why did you pay three hundred dollars to submit one image? Right, and I think and this like, is just image, no write up. Like, like what, nothing. what am I looking at here? Right. I think one point to kind of just throw out, because I did mention that I was super insecure about my work because I didn't come from, you know, the grand old design background. I have a feeling because I also I have friends that are, you know, in different art fields and in design. And that's been like a common thing of like, oh, you know, I know I'm a good designer, but I don't know if I'm good enough to like win contests. And I think getting out that mind frame and realizing that you might be your harshest critic and think, you know, whatever you're doing is like not whatever level Jessica Hish or whoever, you know, whoever you're looking at, but there are also a lot of people who are good. And I, I say that like in the kindest way, just from talking to people, you know, recently and going through the situation at work when we're looking for a designer, I'm looking at this stuff and I'm like, Oh my God, I'm actually really good. <laughs> like. Yeah. I never would have actually said that about myself, I don't think, until I saw this stuff. And I'm like, wait a minute. I thought people were out here killing it, but not really. So you definitely kind of like kicked me in the butt about looking at more design contests. And I think if anybody else who could be listening and had the same mindset I did of, you know, and to be honest, I was like, you know, it's probably going to be the up top white designers who get it. Like, like the Jessica Hitch, like that. That's what I will always see. So, See, this is the got you, though. The up-top designers like that, they don't have to apply for awards. Awards are given to them. True. They won't have to go through the, the process of applying for an award. They'll receive one based off the work that they've done. And honestly, they've probably gotten to a point in their career where awards don't mean anything. Yeah. Gotten the level of of success or visibility that they want from their work alone. So applying for an award is like, Oh, why would I do that? Like, why would I, that doesn't even make any sense. Uh, But if you're a becoming designer, particularly if you're a student or if you, you know, have just done good work and have never thought about it, I think it's worth it to at least try. Right. I mean, I'm just telling you from the judging end, like it's people submitting some trash. (laughs) People are submitting some really like lackluster work. And, and I'm not saying that, you shouldn't do it because it will open you up to criticism. Oftentimes when you submit for awards, you won't hear back whether the only time you'll hear back is if you've won, honestly. Yeah. So it is kind of a, a a bit of a gamble to even put it out there. But I think if you're part of communities or, or, you know, just even peer groups of people that can really constructively critique and look at your work, 
that will just help you, you know, I think help bolster your confidence to apply for awards and to kind of put it forward like that. Right, right. I totally agree because you mentioned how like when the top designers get to a certain point, they've already reached that level of like visibility and shine. And, and for me, I'm like, I want to see more of us get to that point because. Yeah. But the thing is like, we're yeah. not even, I don't even know if we're getting to the point where we're applying for awards. Yeah. Yeah. Sort of like a, like an escalator or like a staircase. Like you've got, <laughs> like, like you have to be at the point where you're applying to awards so you can get awards. So more people see your work. So then people give you awards. If that right. Right. Like, yeah, kind of, keep pushing yourself out there and putting yourself, putting your work in places where more people are going to see it, like in, you know, more critical design circles, I guess. Right. Right. Let's go back to you being in Alabama. We're both from Alabama. You're from Huntsville. Is that right? Yes. You're from Huntsville. I'm from Selma. So we're kind of in like two different parts of the state, but both from Alabama. And you said you went to the university of Alabama. Yes. What was, what was your time like there? Did you study graphic design while you were there? I did. It was very interesting because growing up in the South, like even when people talk about the South now and how racist it is, which it is, people consider it a very like white state, which is interesting because the way I grew up, I grew up like mostly around black people. Like even I think elementary was a little diverse, but middle and high school, it was maybe like one or two white people. So when I went to college at the University of Alabama, it was a little bit of a culture shock because I was introduced to like a whole new world. And and there were certain things that I dealt with, like dealing with blatant racism versus like it being more overt, like like different things that that definitely helped me in my career. But I, I studied graphic design. I initially studied criminal justice because like most families especially people of color (laughs) your parents are like um I need you to go to school for something that's gonna make a lot of money so you can take care of us like a doctor or a lawyer so I went for criminal justice with the intent of being a lawyer but I ended up interning with the FBI and long story short through that process and I did that in Huntsville it was really cool during that process I was introduced to like their communications department and I learned how they communicate with different bureaus. I also learned like random stuff. Like if they're going on on an arrest and they need to like lay out a, a blueprint for whatever they're breaking into, they will use just like typical design programs like Adobe, like InDesign and Illustrator and all this stuff. And so I was really in tune with that. And my minor was computer science. So I already I already knew I was interested in tech. I just couldn't pinpoint like what that was like I I kind of investigated engineering at one point like not far because I looked at the math and I was like there's no way I'm doing all that uh, it didn't go far I was just like ooh, you know Huntsville is a big engineering city so I'm like okay you know engineering money maker for sure you know yeah. it's tech you're solving problems but then the math just I was like no I'm not doing it computer science it was kind of like one of those things where I took a bunch of computer science classes. I liked most of them, but the ones that I hated were the ones that like were more prominent in the field. Like even the web design courses were very, and it was heavy on code and stuff. So I was always in the back of my head struggling with what is it about like tech or, you know, computers? What is it that I'm drawn to? So the FBI helped me realize that I was interested in design, which is weird. And also two of my roommates were minors in design. 
So uh-huh. I could I could kind of tap into them and see like, what are you doing? Like, what are you learning? What are the jobs that you can have? So from there, I ended up graduating a year early with my criminal justice stuff and going back to school for going back to Alabama for graphic design. So I would say that, honestly, it's how most people describe going to a school that's not an art school. Well, hell, some people describe art schools like this, but it was kind of like a rush, like a rush one-on-one in design. So I learned like the basics, like how to use the fundamentals, like all the different like one-on-one stuff. Definitely had a bunch of studio classes, which now looking back at it, I'm starting to think that I may have learned more from my studio classes, like learning more from drawing, building. And I took a bunch of like advanced photography classes. Those actually impact how I work now more than I think my general design courses did, which is like, I think I just had this epiphany like a week ago. So I'm like, that's very like, just interesting thinking about it. It was cool. It was a It was a great program at that time because the program was so small. There's only one like major design teacher like you, especially when you get into your higher up courses. It was only one lady that taught everything. She I mean, she's amazing. And to her, I guess, like benefit or whatever, since she was the only one that was teaching all this stuff, it was only so much she can teach, which now makes sense of like why it was just kind of like the. The one-on-one, you know, just like learn the tools, learn, you know, the pen tool, whatever, versus really diving into design, going. And I think if I could go back and like raise my hand because I was more quiet then, I would definitely want to learn more about like how do you even build, you know, your aesthetic? Like how do you figure out what you're into? But that's kind of just a side note. But yeah, it was it was cool. It was a good experience. That's so interesting that you said the FBI <laughs> interested in design. I think that is phenomenal to hear. I interned at NASA when I was in in college, and I, I sort of kind of struck a similar epiphany to what you were, were saying. It's it's more about, you know, you can be interested in this stuff and do it as a hobby or whatever, right. but when you get into a place where you see how it's applied, mm-hmm. that's when you can then kind of connect the dots to say, wait a minute, this is something that I could do for right. a job, you know? Right, right. So like you said, you were able to see how they used Photoshop and these other tools, how they applied it to this work that you wouldn't normally think of as design, but you're like, you're using design tools to make that happen. Yeah, to like arrest somebody, which was like <laughs> so crazy to me. I'm like, oh my God, this is crazy. And I'm curious of what your opinion is on this. So I think like, Imagine calling your parents and my parents are already excited because I was graduating a year early. I wasn't trying to be an overachiever. I just took a bunch of like summer school classes and AP classes or whatever. And I go to them and I'm like, you know what? This is cool and all. But I'm like, as soon as I graduate in August, I'm re-enrolling the next week and I'm going back for design. And everybody is like, girl, like you have a degree. What are you doing? But and no, it didn't make sense. Like the two fields didn't make sense. I couldn't even explain it. I didn't have it. I think I may have made like some lie up to kind of just keep up the appearance. <laughs> but it, it made no sense. Like I just knew I wanted to do it. Like, I couldn't properly explain to anybody why I was making those choices. But now, now that I look back at it, it's the bottom line of solving problems. That is it. That's why I was interested. I was interested in criminal justice and being a lawyer because I really believe that I can like Olivia Pope a situation. I think I can 
I can figure out a solution to every single problem you give me. Now, it might be a little sketchy, but who knows? I can figure out a solution to it. And, and I mean, that's why, like, like I love critical thinking activities. Like, I've, I've always been drawn to that. So now that I have this creative work, I still use those same skill sets. Like, it's always about solving a problem. And to be honest, when I first started designing, for me, it was about the aesthetic, like what looks good. Like if it looks good, then who cares about the strategic part of it? But now it's definitely more, you know, like how can you solve an issue? And then even like in my my day-to-day work, I use those same critical thinking skills, even if it's not for design. Maybe it's like, hey, I'm in this position now and I know I want to get to point B. What are the strategic steps that I need to take to get there? But it's it's all that investigative, like researching, like it's all those skills that I have that give me, I think it gives me like an upper arm on how I think about not only my design work, but how I think about myself as a brand and how I think about getting in opportunities and doors that I want to get into. I like that. I see what you're saying in that it's sort of the analytical part that ends up informing the creative part mm-hmm. in a way. Mm-hmm. Yep, like that. I mean, that that is it because I've worked with a few designers and even at my, my job now, it's a couple of us. And there have definitely been situations where I can see how other people think and how other people will solve a problem. And I'm like, I mean, not nothing wrong with them. But I'm like, that's totally not the way that I would do it. And even even down to sending emails like. I mentioned before that I was super quiet and I'm I'm still more introverted, but moving to LA has forced me to be extroverted, like to stay afloat and keep a job and do all the rest of this, like networking and stuff. But I've noticed that, and I get that from my mama because my mama is a hustler <laughs> to the T, but I've noticed that even how people conduct themselves in like sending an email, and usually it's more, you know, difficult emails where you need to be political or, you know, maybe you're asking for like even something simple as time off, but you know, it's going to be a conflict and you, you want to figure out how to like strategically navigate through this situation. I would have never thought of myself as a person that can help people, but I kid you not. I'm pretty much like a counselor at work where people are like, Lacey, okay, I gotta, I need to request time off and it's going to be two weeks and I don't know how to get around it. Or like, you know, I was in this weird situation in a meeting and somebody disrespected me or, you know, I work for this agency, but I want to be kind of shady and like put my own work out there, even though everybody else does it. It's not really shady. Like, how do I do this? So it's become kind of like an Olivia Pope situation <laughs> at work where I do my job, but then I also kind of have a side job of like helping people do things that take a lot of like political thinking because one thing I failed to mention is that my minor was computer science but I had a double minor also in political science so yeah I was doing a lot I don't know why I was doing all that (laughs) I don't even know I think I was just trying to be I was just trying to impress my parents really I don't know what I was doing but it all makes sense now (laughs) it's all coming together now it's all coming together I can't tell you half the stuff I learned in those political science classes but I learned how to play politics like I can I can give you a good chess game for sure but yeah Long story short, all those skills have come together where I can now call my parents and like tell them why it made somewhat sense. I mean, but they weren't paying for it anyway, so I kind of just did what I wanted to do. (laughs) (laughs) That's probably why they were okay with it. Mostly they're like, well, look, if it ain't coming out of my pocket, do what you need to do. And I mean, it was the same way for me in undergrad where, I mean, I started out in computer science, computer engineering. I wanted to do web design. My advisor at the time told me I should change my major. So I changed my major to math because 
I had credits from AP Math in high school, and then I was also at a college program at Morehouse, so I had math credits already. So I'm like, I'm like doing the math myself. Like if I switch to math, <laughs> I graduate early, which is what I ended up doing. I switched to math. I graduated like a semester early. But then after that, I could not find a job. Yeah. I was doing customer service. I did telemarketing for the opera for a long time. I sold tickets at the symphony. I mean, I did all kind of number of customer service jobs before I sort of stumbled on my first design gig. And then it sort of, you know, kind of took off from there. And even now, I mean, we're talking, this is well over 10 years later from my first design gig. But now when I talk to my mom, you know, she kind of understands that the math degree, math is, math helps you think. Like right. math helps you think procedurally. Like, yes, it's about numbers and letters and calculus and all that kind of stuff, which is, is okay. But essentially what math does is it gives you the tools to really break down and analyze any kind of situation. Mm-hmm. So what you're saying, that's helped me out with design. That's helped me out with my business. That's helped me out in a number of different ways where, yeah, I have a math degree. And if I wanted to, I could probably go and teach, you know, right. great math somewhere as a fallback or whatever. But it's ended up informing what I do with design because it just sort of gives me kind of a different way of approaching a particular problem. You know, I mean, design is about problem solving anyway. Right. And if math teaches you how to think or even, you know, any kind of other analytical thing, like you said, you were doing political science and all this kind of stuff. It just gives you kind of a a greater understanding of how to solve the problem. Right. Right. Exactly. Exactly. And it's it's interesting, like how that skill set can help you in, I mean, so many different ways. If you do teach math, let me know. I just I was out the other day. <laughs> I was out the other day and I saw like it was like somewhere in the neighborhood, like a, a math tutorial, like a tutoring center or something. And I remember I, I don't know if I was on the phone or if I was with somebody, but I was like, oh, I need to go in there and like just start all the way over because I I am just not with it. And I remember in school, my mom would be so frustrated with me because her and my dad are very good at math. And she's convinced that I just don't want to do it, which is true. Like I would just get there. And if it wasn't like geometry, if it wasn't shapes. I was like, no, nah, these numbers and letters, I the negatives and the positives. I'm not. But one day I said I was going to go buy like a math workbook and just take the fear out of doing it and just actually do it. Because with me, that's a lot of things like I'll. I'll even procrastinate on some design projects, to be honest, because if it's something new and I'm scared, that's my safe zone. It's like procrastination or just either saying, like, I'm not doing it. <laughs> and so I, I told myself I was going to get a math workbook and and see, like, how good or bad I am at math without me freaking out about it. So if you start teaching some classes, <laughs> let me know. <laughs> so So speaking of, you know, kind of taking the fear out of things and just doing it, what prompted you to move from what what sounds like was a pretty safe, comfortable zone of being in Alabama all the way over to California to Los Angeles? Well, one, my family is crazy. (laughs) (laughs) That's one. That's one thing my sister-in-law could tell you. And I didn't even know I was saying this stuff when I was younger, but she said that in middle school, I was like, I'm moving far, far away from everybody. (laughs) I don't even remember saying that, but it sounds like something I said. But I love my family. But I just... I keep mentioning my mom because I'm in this stage where, because at some point, you know, when you grow up, my mom says that you become the mom to the mom. And you also realize that 
all the annoying stuff that your parents might have been doing and like just different life lessons that you didn't necessarily pick up on. So for me, I'm in this phase where I'm realizing how much, how similar we are to each other and like looking at her life path. I just, just did a podcast, like launched it a couple weeks ago. And my first episode was with her and I was just talking to her about like her life. And as we were talking, she was like, oh yeah, I used to be like a radio host. And I totally forgot about that part of her life because She's done so much. So love, love them, but they're crazy. So that was one reason why I wanted to leave. Another was because, and I believe you, you definitely spent a little bit of time in Huntsville. It's a more engineering based city and Mm -hmm. there weren't a lot of design opportunities. To be honest, when I was in Huntsville, after I like graduated and I did this internship and all the rest of this weird stuff, I was working at my old middle school as like an IT analyst and and take that title very lightly because basically what I was doing was fixing computers. So Huntsville City Schools made a terrible decision and it's trust me, it was terrible to give all the kids laptops, which sounds good, but it was really bad because I had a kid tell me like, Miss Jordan, I'm not going to do any work on this computer. I'm letting you know right now. If you give me a book, I will. But this computer, I'm playing Grand Theft Auto and like whatever back 2K 15 or whatever year it was like they weren't they weren't doing anything but since they had computers a lot of computers were broken it was like random stuff like downloading programs blah 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 so you can tell from that job there wasn't a lot of options it was either doing something like that which I just kind of had that IT knowledge because my college job was an IT job but other than that it was more like you know blueprint something designer for like Boeing or whatever. It was very, very heavy in, I can't even think of like the type of design, but it, it wasn't for me. So I always I knew industrial design sort of. Yes. Yes. Definitely industrial, definitely heavy in science and math. <laughs> so I was like, I don't want to do that. And I mean, I honestly didn't know how I was going to get out because I felt like I was like running away and I needed to get out. So I was applying for a bunch of jobs, mostly with Disney, because I did the Disney college program right after college. And if anybody, well, yeah, especially for younger people who might listen, if you're still in college, it's one of those things where it definitely helped me because I ended up working for Disney as a designer, but it's basically cheap labor. Like you go work in a park and by that point I had two degrees and I was like dropping fries and I called like my mom. And, oh no. I know, I know. And I try not to be that one that was like, I'm too good for this, but I would call them and I'm like, y'all, like, and what, what did I do in a past life to where I have two degrees? I got one of them a year early and now I am here working food and beverage with like this weird red and blue uniform on. And like, it was just weird. And I was good at it, which was actually weird. Cause I only like dropped the fries for probably like a month or so. And then I became a trainer. So I really wasn't doing nothing no more, but training people. You had two degrees and you were dropping fries. I know it, it was, a, I mean, dealing with those crazy people, those crazy guests at Disney and the resort that I was working in was like one of the cheaper ones. So mm-hmm. it was, you know, groups of cheerleaders in the summer. It was, it was a mess. But anyway, um, yeah, it's a struggle. I mean, sometimes you got to take those struggle jobs. <laughs> um, yeah, I know it. <laughs> so I did that. And that's when I moved back to Huntsville and did the IT situation. So since I had Disney on my resume, I was just applying for Disney, like all corporate Disney jobs, like Disney publishing, Disney destination, like whatever, mostly in Orlando. And it was really just like a magical blessed moment because a recruiter called me and she was like, I see you applying for all the rest of this stuff. 
but we have this internship in California and I think you'll be great for it. If anyone has had any just engagement with applying for a Disney job, you know that excuse my language, but it's full of shit. Like the way they do their, <laughs> the way they do their, like the online, it's Facebook groups, Facebook support groups about applying for Disney. That's how stressful it is. They have all these different stages. And it was this one stage, I can't think of the name of it, but like they would just hold your application there. And you would just like go to that site every day and just see if you even go into the next round. Because usually the website would tell you before you get the call. So, and I was familiar with all this because I applied for a bunch of jobs. So when she called me, I was like, you're full of it. I don't, I'm not listening. And lo and behold, like that Monday, now old boss called me and basically just pitched me on an internship. She was like, you know, we're doing this thing called the Kinsey Collection. It's an African-American based exhibit that's going to be in Epcot, all like African-American like artifacts, blah, blah, blah. The funny part is she didn't know I was black. <laughs> so she's talking to me about all this stuff. And I'm like, oh, my God, like I can go work at Disney in California and do some black stuff like this is crazy. I was like, this is a joke. Like somebody is going to get on the phone and say, just kidding. And then I, I could hear her clicking through my portfolio. And when she got to my about page, she kind of paused because I had a photo of myself. And she I can't remember how she phrased it, but it was in like the best way. She was like, you know, wait, you're black. Like this is this is all coming together now. And so I ended up getting the internship like on the spot. So with everything that you're doing right now, you know, it, it sounds like it sounds like you've kind of really got a handle on your career and your aesthetic and things like that. Did you have any mentors that really helped you out along the way? Maurice, I wish you could see my face right now. I'm like, I don't have a handle on anything. <laughs> <laughs> I know nothing. <laughs> but I, I, I'm, it's kind of you to say, it's kind of you to say that because that must be what it appears. And I'm like, I don't know anything, <laughs> which is like, good. I like not knowing everything. Mentors. Yes. Design wise. I and it's it's funny because your podcast actually convinced me or inspired me, I should say, to reach out and get a mentor. I did it in a way that is not going to work for like 80 to 90 percent of people because it was a very much like, hey, can you be my mentor? And I don't even know you situation. But I, I knew in my spirit that it was right. And I actually and I'm referring to Diane Holton. She was on a previous oh, episode of yeah. yours. Yes, I love her. I found her through the AIGA task force page. And I was really scrolling through because that was one of the first times where I saw like black designers, because especially like being in LA and like working for Disney in the design field, it was just me. Now I have a couple of friends that were like, you know, one guy is an architect, another guy, like we were, it was maybe like five of us, <laughs> but I was the only designer. So in, in different other professional situations, I've usually been the only black designer. So that was one of the first times where I could actually see a group of black designers like in one space. So I really just was like scrolling and I saw her profile and I think she wrote about loving like fashion and pop culture and blah, blah, blah. And I can't remember if I asked her the first time we talked. I feel like I did because we, we really hit it off. But I just reached out and was like, hey, in L.A., I'm black. I'm a black woman. There are no more. It's like endangered species out here. Not really, but that's how I feel at the moment. Like I don't see anybody. And I just, at that point, I just wanted to talk about weird systematic stuff that was happening at work. Like I just wanted to vent really. So her and I built this relationship where, you know, now I can like come to her about anything. She, you know, helps me with like my design decisions and kind of just keeps me 
like she reminds me that I'm doing the right thing and that I, I should keep going. Then she's she's an art director at AARP. So it's been a time where, you know, she's giving me a freelance project or different things. So definitely one design mentor. But in general, I have a few people who are, you know, not in the design field who, you know, operate in different areas, whether that's like business or one of my mentors and him and I talk. It's probably like every, I would say, five months or so because he's super busy but he's the creative over animal kingdom so he was a big part in like designing all that stuff so it's it's all these people who have different skill sets that pretty much help me build my overall skill set and that's something I would recommend to people is definitely if you're creative definitely get you a creative like designer something mentor but then look at other people because one of my mentors she's a big business woman and I learned from her, like, you know, how to navigate business, how to, you know, handle yourself when you're pitching or if you're in a meeting or like whatever. So it's been very beneficial for me to have mentors that are in different areas. But while I I love having Diane as a mentor, she's also in D.C. So I do. I wish I had some type of like, I don't know if it's it doesn't have to be like graphic design, but maybe it's like, you know, a creative director that's in the industry that's in L.A. or, or someone someone who I can learn from more hands-on here. And that's that's actually something that's been on my mind the last week or two is like, hmm, you know, keep that keep that as a thought. And as I run across different, you know, meet different people, run across different people. And then I also have a group of colleagues who I haven't formally like made, like we haven't used the word mentor, but I'm like in their office every week, like telling them to fix my life. So they're basically a mentor. <laughs> Definitely. I definitely like to tap into people who are more experienced and who are in different fields who could also, you know, help me stay grounded and not want to jump off the nearest bridge when things don't work out and then help me in my creative path. Well, I just want to say, you know, there's not really like a uh, I don't think there is like a set traditional way to find a mentor like what you mentioned with how you you reached out to Diane and now the two of you are, are kind of having this mentor mentee relationship i think that's pretty standard like that's kind of how you have to do it these days because you got social media and so many things that are vying for our attention like if you just reach out to someone and try to strike up that one-to-one conversation that's kind of kind of how it works and i mean diane is somebody i mean she is she is such a creative powerhouse yes i remember in the interview that i had with her a while back i mean she does everything stuff she manages to accomplish and get done across so many different fields. I mean, yes, there's the AARP stuff. She's also super active with uh, her AIGA chapter. She does yep. store displays. Like, yes, that blew my mind. I'm like, where are you finding time to do all of this stuff? Do you sleep? Right. I mean, she is. She is amazing. She is. That store display stuff blew my mind because I'm like, wait a minute. So you're getting up at like the crack of dawn, like and you're designing these stores. And then like, I don't know, at 930, you just go into your creative director job. Like, what are you real? Like, (laughs) I just ask her, like, are you a robot? Like, is this a real situation? And she's a great person for someone like me who is like slowly following her footsteps of doing a whole lot of stuff. Mm -hmm. And every day is like and even when I, I did the episode, the podcast with my mom. That's a lot of what we talked about was having multiple skill sets and going and going forward with all of them, because 
at Imagineering, there was this guy, and I do not like him like at all. <laughs> he he was one of those people who, okay, a little shady, like one of those people who, because he's he's a guy, black guy, and one of those very like I'm gonna teach you the hard way because as a black person here, you need to whatever. I don't know, but he, he yeah, 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 but the way he went about doing stuff was like very disrespectful. So. He was a person who honestly kind of scared me in like the beginning stages of my personal career. And then this the afraidness went to like, oh, I don't like you. and You're full of it, which was good for me because I'm glad I realized that. But with him, he used to always tell me, you need to focus on just design. Like I remember sitting in his office and saying, like, oh, I want to learn After Effects because of certain things that I'm interested in. And at that point in time. I had free time at work. Like I was doing my work very quickly and I had time to learn it. And Disney had the resources to give me after effects. So I wanted to learn after effects. And he told another guy that he could learn it, but then I couldn't because I need to focus on keynote because keynote is going to be a program that I'm going to use a lot. And by that point I designed, I designed a whole interactive iPad exhibit for the Kinsey collection in keynote. Like I did all the animations in keynote and then work with like a coder, like make it do different stuff. It was this whole weird thing. So I know keynote like the back of my hand. So for me and in, in that, when he told me that that stuck with me kind of in the negative way, just because a piece of me was like, dang, should I not be doing all the rest of this extra stuff? Should I really just be focusing on like, just like traditional graphic design and I threw that philosophy out the window and I started doing all the stuff that I do now from like having my like pins that I design and have manufactured to like, you know, the podcast, the my regular freelance work. And and now I'm kind of dabbling and thinking about doing like apparel and like drum, drawn on sneakers, like all types of rant. Every day is something different. And I told my mom that sometimes I feel guilty because I'm like should I be doing all this stuff? Or if I know I like illustration, should I just be focusing on that? Or if I, should I focus on like illustration and the pens or like, what should I be doing with my time? Because all these things make me happy, but then people think I'm crazy when I'm doing all this stuff. And so she basically broke it down that everything that I'm doing makes sense with one another, everything, like all of it is a piece of design and that I should go forward with whatever I want to do. And she, and She's a person who I mentioned has had different careers, has had, I mean, she's thinking about like top five things. She's painted ceramics. Um, she used to sell like, you know, if you go to your grandma's house and it's like the ceramic of like a little black boy holding a football or something like all those, she used to like make and paint those. We used to have a little, what is it? The, oh, I can't, I can never think of it. A kill kern i can't think of the name of it but the the big device that you use to like fire ceramics we had that oh, in our garage. A kiln. yes i cannot think of it we had that in our garage like she used to do everything like t-shirt design for the church like all types of stuff which i thought was very weird at the moment i just thought she was doing the most but now i totally get what she was doing and now i'm doing the same thing so she's always on me about not only doing this stuff, but making sure I'm keeping it consistent because what she didn't do was keep it consistent. And that's something that she's always regretted. And she wants me not to do that because she does have, she's also been a radio host. She has all these skills that, that she's good at, like all around good at, like not one is better than the other one. So for me, she doesn't want, she doesn't want me to take her path and not be consistent, but she wants me to, not get distracted by what other people are saying because they don't have multiple skill sets and she doesn't want me to 
to feel like I'm confined to just sitting down and doing, you know, one thing. So going back to Diane, I think that's why her and I click so much because we're both in this space of like, hey, if you want to do store displays, which takes multiple skill sets from knowing architecture to building, like all this stuff that you have to know, Mm -hmm. and then go be a creative director and then go lead the charge for diversity for AIGA, then just do it. Like, I mean, until you can't do it no more, basically. Yeah. (laughs) I don't know. Just I'm always just in awe of the the amount of enthusiasm and just the output of work that, that she puts out. Now, looking, you know, like you said, you're doing, you sell pins. I mean, I've taken a look at your website. I love these kind of creative collaborations that you've been doing with other brands and stuff like that. Where do these influences come from? Like, I get like a strong 90s vibe. (laughs) But but like, where where do your influences come from? Definitely 90s. I mean, I'm, I'm 28. I just turned 28. I spent like a good growing up period, like in the nineties, like early two thousands. And I keep mentioning my mom. She's such a big influence and very eclectic. Uh, I look at the different things that she used to do with skill sets. And then even how she presented herself, how she would dress like very colorful and like flamboyant. And she's still that way. So those are definitely influences. I am the only girl and the youngest out of four brothers. So I know it's a struggle. (laughs) I'm a tomboy, like for sure. So a lot of my influences came from like 90s hip hop because like I listen to R&B, but I listen to a ton of hip hop. If you follow me on Instagram, usually every morning I'm like recording like what trap song I'm listening to going to my corporate job trying to get my mind right. But it's always been those influences. So when I started really not when I started designing, but in the last couple of years, I really just been paying a lot of attention to what I'm drawn to. And I realized that I love color and it's a certain color palette that I'm always gravitating to like this weird, like pink blue thing. And I just, to be honest, I just paid attention. I paid attention to the type of photos that I like on social media to the type of stuff that I would pin on Pinterest because in the beginning I was just doing things blindly. Like before Instagram and social media got weird and you feel like you need to like make yourself a brand and do all that stuff. In the beginning you were just doing what you like. And so I would look at, you know, what my Pinterest would look like back then. And it was, shapes and squiggly lines and colors and confetti things and then on on the flip side then it would be pieces that would be very minimalist or it would reflect the 90s or reflect like hip-hop or you know music in some some form of fashion so yeah definitely that's what I've been inspired by and I'm actually right now getting more into I'm trying to get off the internet Not completely, of course, but influence wise, get off the Internet because everything is very oversaturated. Even like my style right now is becoming really trendy. And I'm like, no, everybody's doing these illustrations. (laughs) But so I want to I want to take a step back and kind of go back to like my graphic design history and just like art history and spend time, you know, in like the L.A. Public Library because it has one of the biggest collections of just like art history and books and whatever. And kind of tap back more into what's been done before me versus like what's trendy now. So, yeah, that's something that I'm actually in the process of trying to do is just kind of take it a step back, dig real deep into, you know, what I'm inspired by, you know, 
maybe do a deep dive every month into one artist, like from back in the day, whose work I really dig. If that's, you know, Matisse or like Andy Warhol, whoever, whoever I'm inspired by. And, and, you know, just, just read and, and take time to really figure out, you know, why do I like these certain things and kind of dig into the strategic part of it. What is it that you want to accomplish this year? I know you're, you're selling pins on your website. I'm guessing going to be getting other things up for sale. You're doing these creative collaborations. Is there any kind of one particular project or thing that you really want to pull off in 2017? Hmm. For me right now, my focus is on figuring out what my next step is career wise. Like that is, that is the question of the hour. A lot of people who work with me, follow me on social media and to be quite honest, the work I do outside of work is very different than the work I do at work. So mm-hmm. when people see my stuff outside of work, they're like, wait a minute, like no shade to the company I work for. <laughs> but people ask me, like, wait a minute, what are you doing here? Like you need to be doing something. So I'm trying to figure out what that something is. Is it, will I take the leap and work for myself, which I can definitely see myself doing that, like with all the creative collaborations and especially what I mentioned before of like what's happening in LA right now is a, I would say it's kind of like a black, you know, black creative renaissance. Like it's just a lot. It's a lot of opportunities that are going on. So I don't know if it's that, I don't know if it's going into another corporate environment that would be more flexible for me. So thinking about companies like refinery 29, that, that, their designers and their art team, they work on a broad array of projects from, you know, illustrations to like social media content to exhibits. Like it's, it's from what I can see, cause I kind of stalk their art team every day is different and you're working, you could be working on some apparel and then working on like a creative direction shoot for some editorial they have. If it's something like that, or like, you know, Viceland, I don't know, something where I can create content, across multiple areas, not just, you know, print design or digital design. Like I want to be able to flex or it could be, you know, something like very different, like working as a creative on someone's music team. Like that's definitely a dream of mine. So actually the real dream is to be Rihanna's creative director. I'm just going to put it out there, (laughs) put it out there. I'm a big person that believes in speaking things into existence. And I have so many examples in my life where it's very apparent that that has worked. So I just, and I recommend other people do it. Like if it's something you want to do, even if it sounds scary in your head and you're like, I have no business even talking about doing this, then I mean, I would just say it because you never know what can happen. But yeah, that's the dream. The goal for this year is to figure out the next step in in my career. And I believe by doing all the stuff that I'm doing, by, you know, having my freelance work, having that collaborations where I'm putting my work out there, that's like one factor Having the pins is another because having a physical product puts you in a whole different lane. When I dropped that first pin, it was sold out in like less than a week. And the avenues that opened up for me just based off, like even like when you think about press and like, well, not awards, but just more like exposure. Like people were reaching out like, I want to interview and I want to do this. That all adds on to my personal brand. So having a product puts you in a whole different space. And then... With the podcast, I, I'm i just a person who, I mentioned before, I was quiet, really, really quiet most of my life. So now I'm in a space where I force myself to be outspoken in order to, you know, have the 
in order to exist in LA and not be, you know, in a hole. So now that I kind of have this more extroverted personality, I'm like, you know what? I just, I have some stuff that I want to say. I'm just going to create a platform. So I think for me, it's about continually creating these platforms for myself and putting my best foot forward in all of them without losing my mind and hoping that those platforms and what I'm doing would take me, will open up the door to my next creative endeavor. But I know one thing and that's that by the end of this year, I will be in a different situation. <laughs> I don't know what it's going to be, but I feel it. So yeah. I feel it for you too. I, I know that <laughs> for people that are listening, we've recorded this interview multiple times. <laughs> first time remember the first time we spoke i stopped the recording and was like i see you being somewhere else in a year's time yes yes like, I, I could tell just within like the first 10 minutes of talking to you i was like i just see it happening for you like uh, you know we sort of talked about the whole thing because we we spoke on your birthday yes we talked about the whole kind of saturn's return like it's at this point in time where you start kind of casting off the old and coming into this new, you know, kind of age. And I think you're really at that point where it is going to happen. Like, I, I really honestly, truly think it's going to happen for you. The times that we've talked, you've mentioned that. And every time I'm like, yes, because I mean, you know, as a designer, especially with you having your own business, you're probably like by yourself a lot. And you're always in your own head. And even when I'm at work and I'm around other people, I'm still always in my own head. So I'm thinking like, you know, like, is something going to happen? What's going to happen? But then I'll talk to someone like you and you'll totally get it. And I'm like, okay, you know, I'm on the right path. I'm doing, and usually not to my own horn, but when I meet with people for the first time, even like this, uh, this executive, I don't know if she's been at CAA for a year yet or not, but the first time I met with her, she kind of has this, this vibe about her that you know you need to be on your you need to be on your shit when you talk to her like that's the easiest way I can put it so I was probably nervous and babbling but within the first 15 minutes she stopped me and she was like whatever you're doing in this building you don't need to be doing it like you need to be doing some more stuff and so for her for this like random lady that I just met to see that in me it let me know that like I at least have some type of energy about myself or it's, it's something that's gonna happen it's something I don't know yeah. So this, I think this year it's been exciting already. It's been really, really good so far. So I'm, I'm excited to see what happens. Well, Lacey, you know, just to kind of wrap things up here, <clears throat> sorry, hold on. Well, Lacey, <laughs> just to kind of wrap things up here. Where can our audience find out more about you and about your work online? You can find me on my personal site. So Lacey like is S O L A C I L I K E dot com and from there you can get to all of my good stuff you can get to my shop and you can get to the podcast and you can also find me on instagram twitter pretty much everywhere at so lacy like it's it's all the same all branded the same and come come find me let's hang out all right sounds good well lacy jordan <laughs> thank you again so much for coming on the show thank you for being patient with me because like i said we've done this three times but I feel like every time that we've talked, I've gotten, I think, a little bit more insight into kind of who you are as a person and as a designer. And, you know, what I see is like someone that has clearly has the drive, clearly has the hustle, clearly has the talent and just needs the right opportunity to set it off. Like, yes, that's it. 
from from looking at your work, from talking with you, you know, so much of your story resonates with me kind of being kind of following a, a similar kind of, you know, way. Like I didn't move to to, to California, I moved to Atlanta. But I mean, in terms of, you know, being in, a, in the deep south and then kind of feeling like your talent and your ambition is bigger than where you're at. Branch mm-hmm. out and and make that happen and, and really kind of, you know, make your own dent in the world. And so I think you're at this point where it's going to happen for you. I, I'm excited to hear where you're going to be a year from now, because I really just feel like your time is it's coming like something. The next big opportunity is definitely coming for you soon. So, thank you so, much, so, so much for coming on the show. I appreciate it. Of course. No, thank you. I I love everything you're doing. And my like last note for people who are listening is because I think I mentioned this like one time we record. I don't know. But and I mentioned it to you. I was hesitant on being on the podcast. Well, not hesitant, but one of my friends like tweeted you a couple of times. was like, was tweeting me and he was like, Lacey should do the podcast. And I'm like, girl, shut up. Why would you say that? Because of going back to the whole thing about, you know, being a young designer and I, you know, super established and I have all these awards or whatever. And I think that actually doing the podcast, like just, you know, doing it and putting myself out there really gives me a good feeling. And I think it's a good story to hear. So there are people, because I think as people of color, yeah, you you want to know where we are, but we also on the flip side have to put ourselves out there to some extent. It may not be the most like I do, but to some extent, just put put your vision out there. But if, if anyone listening has thought about reaching out and doing the podcast and for whatever reason you felt insecure about it, then you should totally do it. It's super chill and yeah. you put yourself out there. Yes, I agree with that. <laughs> I agree with that. Again, Lacey, thank you again for coming on. Thank you. Thoughts of love are in And that's it for this week. Big thanks to Lacey Jordan and thanks to you for listening. You can find out more about Lacey and her work through the links in the show notes at revisionpath.com. Also, thanks as always to our sponsors, Facebook Design, MailChimp, Hover, and SiteGround. Facebook invests in design. They care deeply about how their design team might do their best work, and that manifests itself in a number of different ways, such as showing how internal design critiques work at Facebook, sharing resources about VR and other cutting-edge tech, and by giving away great tools and resources like Origami Studio, popular device templates for Photoshop and Sketch, and even diverse hands for mock-ups. Learn more about Facebook design at facebook.com forward slash design. More than 15 million businesses around the world use MailChimp to grow sales and make money in their sleep. You know, MailChimp has really grown from being just an email service provider to becoming your one-stop place for marketing your business. So aside from sending email, it ties into hundreds of other services like Hootsuite, Zapier, Salesforce, Eventbrite, and many others. Get everything you need all in one place and sign up for a free account today. MailChimp. Send better email. Hover takes all the hassle and confusion out of buying and managing your domain. With free private domain registration and your choice of domains across all the 400 plus domain extensions out there, how can you turn that down? Go to hover.com forward slash revision path and get 10% off your first purchase. Since 2004, SiteGround has been empowering web professionals and beginners alike to build better, faster, safer websites easily without having to worry about hosting. Visit siteground.com forward slash revision path to get 60% off on all hosting plans. 
SiteGround, web hosting crafted with care. This episode was edited by RJ Basilio and produced by me, Maurice Cherry. Our intro voiceover is by Music Man Dre with intro and outro music by Yellow Speaker. If you liked this episode, please do me a huge favor. Subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts and leave us a rating and a review. You know, it only takes a minute or two. It really, really helps to show out by bumping us up in the rankings there for design podcasts. And I'll even read your review right here on the show. Revision Path is brought to you by Lunch, a multidisciplinary creative studio in Atlanta, Georgia. Visit us at yepitslunch.com for all your design, strategy, and creative consulting needs. And if you like the work that we're doing here with Revision Path, then please consider becoming a patron. You know, now more than ever, Revision Path needs your support to make sure that stories about black designers and creatives in our field are being told in their own words. So if you support us, just go to patreon.com forward slash revision path and pledge today with a monthly gift. Pledge level start at just $1 a month and you'll get access to behind the scenes information about the show, upcoming interviews, and so much more. Thanks so much for listening and we'll see you next time.